0: This episode of the Adventure Game Engine Interest Series was brought to you in part by our Portal Maker patrons, Griffith Locke and Leona. We couldn't do the show without folks like you, so thank you. D20 Radio, your gamer's role. Welcome to the Aegis, Ecolyte. We have so many portals, so many wondrous things to show you. But today, I think this one will be perfect. Welcome to the Adventure Game Engine Interest Series. Every uh and i seem to be having a great time managing my machines and everything hope that's cool with everybody uh i'm a little lonely today but not too lonely we'll, we'll get to that we'll get to that later uh but thank you all for folks who are managing to join us on twitch uh and for folks who are listening to us uh, in the later times in podcast land welcome to the adventure game engine interest series where we talk about all the age all the time uh, we've got some juicy uh, a juicy meat of the show to get to later, but for now, uh, got a little bit of preamble that we need to work through. So, bear with me for a little while. Uh, first, we're going to take a moment to meet our fellow portal makers. As you fine folks know, we are members of the D twenty Radio Network, and as part of that network, we take a moment to let you folks know about one of the many pods that are available to the gamer nation, uh, and that's you folks, by the way. Hi, you can see us now probably. Uh. This episode, we're featuring a trio of series that are all part of the same crew. Uh, The three shows are called Court Games RPG, Fortune and Strife, and Crimson Gold Agonies. All three of these shows focus on the Legend of the Five Rings role-playing game, with each show having a different focus on this fascinating game of samurai, courtly intrigue, and adventures inspired by Japanese myth and history. Court Games RPG takes a top-down view of L5R, not unlike how we look at age games. They offer advice on how to run and play the game, update us with news about L5R in its many forms, and sit down with the folks who work on the game. Fortune and Strife is an actual play series with a focus on leaving, the mecha- on leaving the mechanics in the adventure so that listeners can get a feel for how the game sounds and plays. Crimson Gold Agonies is another actual play podcast that focuses more on the story and the mechanics are pushed back to keep the game more narrative. In their latest episode, the folks at Court Games have been continuing a fascinating series on environments in L5R, and the unique challenges and opportunities that each presents for L5R Adventures. Most recently, they have covered running adventures in desert environs. I listened to it, and I got to learn what a rain shadow desert is. Don't quiz me on it, I probably don't remember. If you would like to make an appearance at Court yourself, you can find the links for this show, and the actual plays, in the description for this episode and in the show notes. Next, we're going to be watching the portals, taking a look at the news. Uh, This coming December will be the annual Dragon Age Day. Dragon Age Day is an unofficial celebration of Dragon Age, the series of computer games, books, comics, and role-playing game that we once specialized in here at the show, and we still do. We participated in Dragon Age Day a few years ago. We are finally making a return. We will be streaming on Twitch as part of the Dragon Age Day festivities, while Dragon Age Day is technically the 4th of December, there are events taking place before and after the 4th itself. We will be taking part with two streams. The first will be on the 3rd, where I will take an hour to talk about running a tabletop role-playing game for folks who have never tried one, with a focus on the Dragon Age role-playing game. And then on the 4th, we will be running an actual play of the Dragon Age RPG. I will get you the exact times of the streams when we are closer to the dates, so please stay tuned for that. And next, we're going to peek through the portals to fan creations and alliance adventures. Today, we are going to be starting to use this segment to talk feature, about, uh, feature the offerings from the New Age Creators Alliance, Green Ronin's new community content program, which you are going to be talking about more here in a little bit. Uh, today, we are featuring Flight of the Wayfarer by Richard Malena Weber. This is a fantasy age adventure from levels 1 to 3, where you get an airship, kind of. This short adventure gets you started in the world of Alduin, where you and your crew get to take a ride on the, furl- the world's first airship. To read, uh, to quote from the description from Drive-Thru RPG, The teeming metropolis of Alduin is about to be treated to the next great advance in magical technology. The launch of the Wayfarer, the world's very first airship, will secure Alduin's status as the most powerful city in all the land an outcome that some of the neighbors would rather see fail. Can the heroes wade through a battle of industrial espionage with the future of two nations at stake? This adventure is perfect for a group of one to three heroes, ready for adventure on a grand scale. The adventure itself has some excellent art and looks very well laid out, in my opinion. Uh, The adventure should run fairly quick. Uh, It's only 11 pages long, but it promises some real excitement and the chance for the heroes to make some big decisions for this setting. There's also a full playthrough of this adventure on YouTube if you'd like to watch it be played out. Uh, the YouTube channel, the RPG Exploration Society, which is a channel that explores new role-playing games you might not have tried, has a group run through the adventure by themselves. The link to this adventure and the playthrough on YouTube will be included in the description and the notes of this episode. Whew. Alright. Well, now that I've got all of that out of the way... Uh, I think we need to get to the exciting part of this show where I get to introduce a very special guest back to the show for his second time. I'm uh, Mr. Malcolm Shepard. Thank you for joining us again.
1: Thank you very much. And hello. And hello, everyone. Good to be here.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much yeah. for being here again. It's always good to have you along. Uh, yes. <laughs> Uh, Malcolm here joined us back in episode four to talk about modern Mm -hmm. age, uh, which he is in charge of at Green Ronin.
1: Yes. Mostly. Mostly. Fair enough. Um, To clarify that a little bit, Mm -hmm. uh, we have uh, Megan Fitzgerald, who some people may know if they are into Chronicles of Darkness, um, where Megan has done developmental duties for... um, Changing the Lost and Mage the Awakening and a whole bunch of other work. Um, but Megan has also worked on uh, things for modern age and is a developer. And uh, one of those adventures is very close to coming out. It is a uh, it's a new adventure in the modern age mission series. Um, so called Light 1701. It's super cool. Uh, and I can't wait for it to, to come out. It's very close now. And uh, maybe I should have mentioned it in the pre-briefing. But surprise. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Um, hmm. But yes, other than that, uh, I'm the modern age person. If you want to talk what modern age,
0: this is the guy to go to. I'm glad you could come back to us and talk to us again, uh, oh. especially on Thank this auspicious time where we've got a whole new modern age book that's out
1: this is true uh
0: folks who are uh eagle-eared listeners i don't know if eagles are good at hearing that was a poor analogy but uh folks who maybe paid attention to the last episode now that we've already talked about the modern age mastery guide um but we talked about it from our perspective from the perspective mm-hmm. of someone who's cracked it open and well cracked open that pdf and taken a good look gotten some first impressions uh and came to you folks with our book report so to speak um but now we've got one of the folks who actually got to type some of the words that went in there so we're going to get a very different perspective is at least my humble hope um would you mind being would you mind talking about this brand new book that you've got out there
1: not at all. And uh, yeah, the Modern Age Mastery Guide is in pre order and PDF. And uh, it will be, uh, you know, it is awaiting arrival on our shores um, for printed stuff. Um, <laughs> it was not printed in Asia, just in case you're wondering about the logistics end of it. So we do expect it to arrive in a reasonable amount of time. Um, However, don't ask me more detailed questions about that because that's an all other part of the company. Um, and if I was if I was that smart, I wouldn't be a game developer. So fair enough. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So the money. modern age mastery guide is uh, it's something I've kind of wanted to do for a while because the thing I don't like about players player facing material um, and GM facing material is that they tend to be sequestered from each other right so you buy the game master's guide right and sometimes you buy the player's guide but of course the gm is always going to buy the player's guide right um if they're completists like that you're not going to have a table full of players with the player's guides in the GM who doesn't have and conversely it doesn't seem to be like there are no real secrets in game master advice outside of the twist of specific adventures so why not do a book that does them both and is also developed with an eye toward synchronizing those two sets of advice right so that they are a whole and that creates a lot of neat effects for us, because for one thing, it means that I can turn around some GMing advice and apply it back to players, right? Because often we think of game masters as the people who have to develop the craft and players as the ones who just kind of show up. Um, And really players can also improve their craft, right? Um, And help the GM out, right? And players can use some of the tools that we typically think of as being kind of game master focused tools and one of those for example and this is something that comes up repeatedly in advice in the book is having out of character out of game discussion right um, it is perfectly fine as a player to be direct about your desires and your needs and that is something that comes up repeatedly in the advice in the book right is that you know have an honest conversation about you what you want one of the things that has always been on my mind and i may have actually mentioned this the last time i was here as, as a personal type of, is whenever you go to forums or facebook groups or uh discord channels and stuff and somebody asks for advice about what to do in a the game they're in that involves a conflict with other players and the advice is asking for some kind of, or with the GM, the advice is asking for some kind of strategy to kind of get one over, right? On, on the people you're playing with, right? And I can't help but thinking that, well, you've already, you've already lost, right? If there's a way to lose an RPG, that's it, uh, <laughs> right? Is, Congratulations, is, you found is it. Is coming into the space with all will. So that's kind of the overarching thing. Um, However, you know, I, well, I did write some words, um, you know, lots of people wrote lots of great words and uh, like, and I'd kind of like to give a shout out to them. um, If you will indulge me. Absolutely. And I, yeah. And, uh, First on, I'm just going to look at the whole, I'm just going to look at the credits. Um, Jesse Hainik, Uh Jesse Haynick is fantastic. And Jesse was the person who got me into the industry. Uh, he hired me to work on Mage the Ascension way back in the late, late 90s. Um, wow. And now he, uh, now he does uh, story development for Star Trek Online. Just a a fantastic guy, and uh, he did a lot of stuff on character creation variations and additions. So the quirks and you know simplified characters and things like that. uh, How David Ingham they are uh, so knowledgeable about. um, They did the um, some of the original advice in the Modern Age Basic Rulebook, and so this kind of continues that. Um, uh, Howard is also, uh, one of the form- foremost authorities on the folklore genre. Um, and, uh, and is just an amazing person to, to follow. And, then uh, you know, I don't think I need to say much about Steve Kenson or Jack Norris because, you know, they are, they've always been there doing cool stuff um there's me uh there's Will Sobel who uh who was uh, was working uh, with us in operations for a while and um has some very original and contemporary thinking about uh about bringing the party together and then there's Nicole Winchester who has a massive amount of experience with sort of the reality of play and uh and dealing with player conflict because of her experience specifically uh working in high-end warps right um hmm. i think she uh the college of wizardry grand masquerade and stuff so what a great pool of people uh to bring down and to share their perspectives So it's, it's a real privilege to bind all of those together
0: what a powerful team
1: and a powerful team, and uh, and I, I'm really happy with the way the book came out. Uh, however, I know that a lot of people are skeptical of uh, of these kinds of books because, like, why would I want to read a bunch of essays? And there are a bunch of essays. But we do have some systems. Um, so one of the things, for example, is, uh, is we have a bunch of options for different things that are kind of in some ways continuing from what we had in the... modern age companion so this can kind of be considered a partner to the modern age companion and um, together it opens up uh the game quite a bit and it kind of does some things a little like it tinkers with some more fundamental things right so like what if we have a simplified character with only three abilities uh how focuses focus with a character like that or what if we have a character is um, just a typical person with zero in everything, and maybe one thing they're kind of good at, um, right? Uh, there are a couple of things you can do with that, right? Of course, if you're into the horror genre, like you know, the the thing to do is because those people take like five minutes to make, make them up, and then you run a preamble where the monster is them, so you get to play through being eaten or turned into a gelatin-like. Or whatever, and then you can bring out your normal PCs and figure out what happened to these jelly corpses. But Ooh, all, so there's all this kind of like very, you know, digging up the core and fooling around with it and seeing what we can do with it, right? And of course, there are some um, recommended revisions to the rules that come with having you know, years under our belt, right? Um, I've been. You know i've been running it and i've been playing it uh well actually one thing right now is i'm actually um i mentioned this blogging um uh for green ronin but uh i currently play um in a modern h3 full game but i don't run it so it's very interesting to see how the gm um interprets the information they have right and it's been very constructive for me and between that and running. Um, and talking to people and everything, you know, we kind of came up with a couple of changes for the rules. For example, uh, we really, you know, we came to the conclusion that we really lowballed. Well, we didn't really, we kind of lowballed stunt attack, right? So, you know, um, this is one, you know, so now with stunt attack, generally it's two, you get two SP or if you get doubles, you get the number on the stunt die, whichever is better. Ah, right. Okay. So, that hits the minimum threshold for a lot of stunts, where the intention is really that the stunt takes the place of that kind of maneuvery things that you're used to in a lot of games. Like, if you remember, like, you know, in 3E, now I want to do it now, and everybody tears their hair out, right? Uh, so, you know, we have, so stunts are supposed to take the place of that in modern age, but if we just give you one stunt point when you really want to do it, you can't do much more. So, and what yeah, do I do with all uh, these flowcharts? charts? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so, yeah, that is uh, that's kind of the the high level look at the book. Um, what do you want to know specifically about it?
0: Uh, let's see. Uh,
1: what do you want? What do you want to say about it specifically? What questions do you have? Let's
0: see. Uh well, you we covered a couple of things, but um let's see. My first question was what separates the Mastery Guide from other modern age books and I think we've we covered that pretty well. Is there anything else you'd like to say about it? Um I
1: guess I guess the difference in the rules parts between it and the companion are again like I said, you know, they're more fundamental and also they are directed, some of them are directed at players, um, and some of them are directed at GMs. Of course, you know, RPGs being what they are, um, generally you you as a player can't decide that you really like this cool new system, and you're going to use it, and you're going to play someone with only three ability scores when everybody else has nine. So, yeah, <laughs> the GM needs to prove that kind of thing. But you know what? Conversely, I think my approach to game mastering has always been that aside from little tweaks, you really need everybody's agreement on any changes or elements you bring into the game, too. So, you know, um, mutual consent doesn't just apply to the soft elements. It also applies to the mechanics, right? Um, So we have those directed mechanics. Uh, in a way that really wasn't present in the companion. But they are kind of under that overarching thing. So, for example, if we go to chapter five, a player's miscellany, um, one neat subsystem we have in here is dramatic explosives. Yes. Um, This was a great thing from Jack. Um, Basically, you know, Everybody knows that nobody roasts for damage in movies where things blow up. So instead, (laughs) instead the dramatic explosive system kind of runs it so that, you know, what is the effect that we want this thing to have? And that determines how hard it is to do. Um, And also, you know, how it is countered. Right. And I love this so much. I into a general system for murder. Uh which sounds <laughs> kind of grim, but like it's uh it's not something that you would use against PCs routinely, except in some gritty mode games, right? Mm-hmm. But it does provide that, you know, poisoning plot kind of feel, instead of thinking like, oh, I'm going to use these rules to make a hazard that generates this many this many D sixes of damage, right? Because yeah, yeah, I'm already bored describing it that way. <laughs> so <laughs> um, so that's that's an example of something that we have as player-facing because it is a player-active action. But of course, you know, um, it will require Game Master moderation. And it's the same with some of the things for weapons and so on and so forth like that. So meanwhile, in the ends. And we have uh, a bunch of different sort of varying meta options. So, for example, we have a discussion in Chapter 6 about target numbers. And it starts out by just talking about this around target numbers, right? Um, But then we get to some options for, well, what if you would like... um, what if you would like to succeed at a price, or what if you would like, you know, the to use the ever-popular fail-forward principle in modern age? And we have options for those things, right? Um, I personally am back and forth on those because for a complex game theory reason. Do you want to hear it?
0: Oh, please, yes.
1: Can I bore you? <laughs> All right. All right, so not just What's the me? Thing? success the thing is is that if you do if everything is yes but then it tends to create kind of regularity of action which is not especially dramatic now if you've read any robin laws uh robin laws will talk about um highs and lows in storytelling right i think it's called pandemic, but um, and he does some he does some great description of it. And I, if I remembered it better, I'll talk about it with more detail. But to we're gonna pound past my ignorance for a moment. And my point is is that failure, you know, there is the thing where failure makes eventual success seem sweet, right? So I think of that in terms of kind of, you know, the amplitude of play, right? Um with a lot of fail forward implementations, we kind of get a, which is all right. You know, the story always moves forward. People feel like they're getting things done. But is anything really exceptional, right? It can be. But so well, the thing is with failure, you do have those huge punctuations of. Uh, a success and that goes back actually. And now I'm just gonna go and talk about a completely different book, <laughs> the companion. So, if you remember, um, uh, if you remember this, the um, some systems in the companions jamming section for modulating the frequency of success and failure, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's still success and success, failure is failure. But the more you fail, the more likely you are to have a comeback, right? And you have, you know, it's serendipity and, oh, I forget the name of the other one because it's because expa- it's implemented in the Expanse it's the churn. It's in yes. modern age too, right? Um, but it, it's implemented as, as the churn in the Expanse. So for those of you who don't know the Expanse, which is a very fine game that's similar to modern age, um, the churn is basically something that the more you succeed, the bigger chance something is going to come back and wallop you. Um, So what it does is it creates that high amplitude and also makes it regular enough that you don't have this thing where like, well, what is my, when is my ship coming in? Right. After making like a whole bunch of terrible rolls, Right. Um, Or, you know, when am I not going to succeed anymore? Right. Because what we, often want to do is uh, is we want to make fallacies about how things work real in games. So in this case, we kind of want to make the gambler's fallacy real, right? So the gambler's fallacy, if you recall, is the idea that if I, you know, roll or die, chances of getting four or higher will somehow increase the more I roll, right? Which is untrue. But we kind of want it to be true, don't we? That'd be nice. Right? And that that's the fundamental urge we're trying to satisfy. So that brings us to things, options like, um, like diceless play, right? So, diceless play gives us, you know, and that is, um, and that's in also in chapter six later on. Uh, diceless play gives us an option to do that uh, with extreme precision, because we get to choose um, how much effort we put in things right uh and the game master of course representing the other side in any dice contest is capable of total control of of the outcome in building that relationship well almost total control um because of some things with the peculiarities of restless so i don't know if i even got around to answering your question no, but good. i said
0: I really, uh, uh, I actually, if you you wouldn't mind, I'd like to mention that Diceless uh, Modern Age again. It's something that's not really been attempted. uh, Or I think, I don't don't know how, maybe this is different on your end of the, uh, uh, on the end of the, I guess, the Discord stream, but um, I'm not so sure how many folks have even considered the possibility of making an age game Diceless. It seems so
1: weird, isn't it? It
0: does. Uh, it seems like so much of age is very dependent on those three d sixes, and
1: taking them it, away. Mm-hmm. Oh, it, oh, it absolutely is. But you know, part of one of the things I really wanted to do um, with this book is acknowledge that uh, we play RPGs differently now than we used to, um, because this is a pre pandemic uh, production, if mm-hmm. I remember. The timeline's right, but <laughs> it seems to be especially relevant now because, of course, you know, um, how often do you play with other folks at a table now, right? For some people, it's going to be, uh, I don't know, I haven't played face-to-face since March of 2020, Oof. so yeah, but of course I've been playing on Discord, right? Before all this, people were playing on like Discord, or they were um, you know, using some other live system, or they were doing forum games, right? I am fascinated with forum roleplay because it's this parallel tradition yes. of roleplay right? Like um, you know, this is the thing I always tell game designers is like, okay, you know, you can look at somebody's like cool OSR variation or whatever, and there's so much cool stuff there, and you can look at any. You know, the ideas that people aren't looking at are in things like, you know, Chain, CYOA, um, and all these, um, you know, and there's a tradition of role-playing that comes like out of fanfic, um, chat-based role-play, where, you know, basically these people who have been doing, you know, uh, what if Goku meets Harry Potter... Like, you know, (laughs) conversation based for things. Like, they have gone, well, what if we make our own worlds, right? And what are the conditions of that? And then you have something like Jump Chain, which is about uh, going somewhere and having an abstracted history of your character um, in terms of stuff you get and skills you get, right? And the whole thing is to create this fanfic by jumping from place to place like this. Amazing stuff. Amazing stuff. So, and a lot of it involves no dice whatsoever and in fact what is the most common thing that happens in online games is the dice kind of get moved to the side a lot of the time because we have a conversational medium because the online the medium is the thing that does conversation in almost all of its manifestation right you know here verbally or in text um right or purely through audio right so we have all of these things that are conversation optimized so of course the dice are going to move out of the way because they're not part of the conversation so that's a long way of saying that's why we have things like diceless play right gotcha. um and that's why we have things like in the player section we have a reference we have fan casting right yes like you we, we live in a world where images Famous people are extremely easy to get and manipulate as much as we like. So you know, why not say, why not say that um, this is my character? Our our grizzled detective is played by Jared Harris, right? Um, You know, and, and why not? Why not say? Why not? to do a cool actor, or a cool aesthetic, right? Mm-hmm. Say so that we have a gun or a sword or something that looks like that, right? So we can do all these things. In terms of dice specifically, it means that, uh, it means that first of all, I personally don't care about cheating at at or facsimile thereof, but this kind of removes it as an issue completely, right? Because we have these spends and points that are just, you know, known and they can be verified pretty quickly, right? Um, the other thing too with the diceless system is, you will note um, that there is some discussion of sequencing bids, right? Mm-hmm. So that is something that often in bid-based diceless systems that people tend to forget is right um second bid is always better right uh, because mm-hmm. you gain the on the amount of the first bid if it's disclosed to you before you bid in return right yes so you know, if you try and get a total if someone tries to get a total of 14 you can go well i'm going to get a fifteen, right you know that. Mm-hmm. so we have a couple of options for like simultaneous bids and, and things like that that we that we lay out, right? But the idea is that we have something that is more portable and deterministic than dice to fit the conversation-based medium, and also maybe if we just feel like playing without dice, to, and we get out of the, you know, big-brained justification for it.
0: I really liked how uh, deliberate it seemed, uh, well, how deliberate the sort of the play style seems it's very much about spending mm-hmm. those points and reaching into the, because um, stunts are a pool now, right? A communal pool that folks mm-hmm. share and draw on when they want to use them.
1: Yeah.
0: I really like that. Yeah, I thought that was very fascinating.
1: Honestly, constant temptation designing for each <laughs> is that stunts are so cool you want to give them to people more. Um, yes. So the temptation is to make them more deterministic and uh, and finding, a, you know, make it more deterministic in that if you spend the resource, you get the done. And it kind of, and it's a good thing, it's a good tension to have because, you know, that's how Steve Kenson ends up inventing mm-hmm. in the Expanse, right, uh, you know, which you use for exactly that kind of manipulation, right? It's a very popular we get relationships um you know from blue rose originally designed for dragon age um incidentally but you know that but you know publishing Blue rose important to modern age right so we we kind of have the edges of a totally deterministic stunt system but we we hold back from indulging ourselves completely and saying yeah you can do stunts all the time um For, again, getting back to that sense of amplitude in in results, right? Mm -hmm. It's cool to have stunts happen occasionally instead of all the time. It's cooler than being able to do something cool all the time, right? So, however, you know, we kind of strike a balance here where, in the dice listing, where they're on tap, you know, but, you know, maybe you want to be careful with them. -hmm. If that makes sense.
0: We go, Boop. All right. Uh, let's see. Goodness, what can you do with the mastery guide? Uh, I mean, we to, I think we've answered that quite well. Um, let's see. Do you have uh, let's play favorites. Do you have a favorite part, or maybe if not a favorite, like a top five of your uh, of your spots in the in the mastery guide?
1: Okay. Well. I am especially fond of simplified character creation um, because well, a whole bunch of reasons. The first thing is that I'm not a huge fan of session zero. Mm. Right. I accept that it has to happen, um, but I want to play the game. Right. <laughs> Fair enough. And I see, I've seen so many. Games or attempts at games, attempts at new campaigns get bogged down in that session zero. Mm-hmm. And there's this design trend to front load as much as possible. And in some games that is appropriate and even good. Like, um, you know, I mean, I also, you know, I edited together Sword Chronicle and Sword Chronicle is super duper front loaded, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that world building, house building component is huge and it's important and it's great and you want to devote time to it however uh when we're talking about more traditional adventure or even things that are are not um like one shots for example right especially for one often people will i think often people will say they want to run a campaign But they really want to just run a short sequence, or even a one shot, but they feel like they need to do it to justify having the session zero. So instead, what I really like is I like tools that let me get into play as soon as possible. And that means quick character creation tools. And that means simplified characters, like, um, Pretty much any game I've done work on I've, uh, I, I've really advocated for those options. So in, we have a, a couple of ways of doing that I mentioned before. And let me see. I believe. Ah, it's in chapter two, variant character creation, which is of course where it should be. Uh by characters. So so we have three abilities, physique, reaction, and anima. Um, you know, which each of them unfold uh, three of the typical abilities in modern age, yeah. and we have a bunch of simplified options for advancement um, as well. And uh, and that just lets you, it lets you get to playing, right? It yes. uh, it drops the character creation process. Um, one thing i especially like actually is the talent point option which is on page 22 and one of the things one of the things is it basically lets you freeform talents by making them a um a relationship-like pool of points that you can spend on anything that fits under the talents descriptor right so if great. you want to re-roll and two points, right? And there you have it. So you don't need to look through the big matrix of, of talents, right? The disadvantage for systems like this, and this is something that uh, Chris has pointed out internally when we've talked, and he's absolutely right about that, is that the danger is that it creates a kind of sameness among characters, right? Because, you know, if you have the tool and descriptor system, then, of course, everybody really can do the same stuff. They're just bracketed by what the words say, right? And it's the same You only have nine abilities. You know, uh, characters can't really be that much different. However, that isn't always a problem, especially in situations um, which are short-term or just a number of characters or things like that, because I think often as designers, um, we tend to think Of the set of all players and how we how how you know one option compares to all the options that everybody in the world might be exercising when really, you know, they can't see the rest of the world. They can see the other half dozen people, right? Top or participants. Ooh, actually six people, six other people. That would be I've done it before. Anyway, um <laughs> <laughs> stay on target. But uh yes, the uh so that could be enough variety in that set, right? What it where it does break down is you know, if we run successive games and successive characters, then you know they they make start to blend together. Plus we have we lose the Plus with generalized freeform characters, we kind of lose the, the pleasure of of character build play, you know, mm. which is kind of it's a which really I've I fought with this for the longest time. I used to hate it when people talked about their D and D and Pathfinder builds and you know how that's just consumed everything at the cost. Oh, and Exalted. Exalted was terrible for that. Um yeah. but But the thing is is you know my business how people enjoy things right so of course that's part of it and that's part of the pleasure and and, and, you know it doesn't harm anyone of course I'm going to withhold it and I should so I apologize for all the terrible things I said about people who are too into builds (laughs) Um, and that's what you lose but me personally I love having simplified streamlined characters to get into play immediately. I
0: can hear that. I understand that.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. Um, yeah. I don't think I have four more. <laughs> <laughs> I like the rest of the book, but I'm biased.
0: Fair enough. I, let see. I, I think everyone here at the age definitely agrees that it is, uh, it is a must have, uh, even for the, even for the essays, I think they're all excellent essays. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I made mention of a couple of them that are very very important reads for everybody, both sides of the GM screen. If you use a GM screen, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, very good book to pick up. Um, I would say on part. I really, really, really enjoyed the Modern Age Companion, and I think it makes an excellent partner for that book.
1: Well, thank you very much. <laughs>
0: Uh, let's see. Um, you know, I think we could probably use this Modern Age Mastery Guide uh, for maybe a certain community content program that's floating around out here somewhere?
1: Well, there is the, uh, there is the Age Creators Alliance um, yeah. that was just uh, kicked off. Well, not just kicked off. It's It's been happening for a little bit now. Um, and it's great to see I have to admit, I can take virtually no credit for it um, because it was, you know, Troy Hewitt uh, doing a ton of work, um, doing the communications with people who wanted to make stuff and with drive-through and just sort of noodling it out. And it took it and, you know, it took some time. I think previously, the problem with any new initiative is that unless... Unless something's going to catch fire when you do it, it's everybody's second to me. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh-huh. So, so you have like, you know, like, yeah, it would be nice to have this program, but also, how about books? Right. All right. Uh, you know, uh, I think we kind of got the right person in Troy to to make that happen. Um, and I'm, uh, um, Kind of intrigued about some of the stuff we have here. I am going to go over to drive through right now. To oh, do. So, you know, we've got a handful of stuff happening, um, and uh, something that appears to be misfiled uh, oh, no. <laughs> by the contributor. So, um, you know, we in fact uh, have nothing to do with rhyme of the frost maiden um and i hope that gets fixed soon uh but you have mentioned you know flight of the wayfair changing seasons um and a bunch of other things and well two other things now um more coming the focus right now at this stage of the program is is adventure and setting material so that's why we have like right now there's a there's a there's a 50% a rough 50% guideline um on rules content and it is rough in that like basically what we don't want is we don't want someone making a pure mechanic supplement at this time um that may change over time right because you know this and the you know the uh, the Chronicle Guild, um, which is our other community content program for uh, for Sword Chronicle, um, you know, those are you know really our first dips into those. So we kind of want to see what works, but we do know that um, for fantasy age and modern age, the big demand has been for adventure and setting support, and we would really like creators to uh to do that um yes please. because we want people to play the games uh and we want people to have worlds in the games um because that's what transitions a game from this thing that you bought the core book of and you might play at conventions to your weekly right yes. so of course um that's in our interest you know, we want, we want fantasy, we want modern age to become your weekly, right? So, uh, that's, uh, that's the emphasis. I have had a couple of ideas for stuff to do. Uh, <laughs> um, like, uh, I'm a big fan of dark fantasy, for example. Oh. Um, so certainly like, uh, you know a gothic fantasy adventure um or something like that is something that's percolating in my mind uh but i don't have a specific thing in mind right but certainly, like i uh, i've been thinking about it ever since uh, i worked on the um the lost citadel uh fantasy age supplement ah yes yeah so for For your listeners, um, we have uh, the Lost Citadel game, which is a big fifth edition setting that is post-Dead Apocalypse, right? However, also have a complete conversion of it for Fantasy Age, the Fantasy Age conversion codex, um, so that you can play it in Fantasy Age or in 5e. So, you know, uh, working on that kind of material, I was quite interested in you know seeing how I could revisit that vibe and that atmosphere, right? uh, especially because uh, you know uh, Green uh, you know it's we're just not the kind of company where you know uh, we want uh we wanted to pick scenes where you know people's heads explode and shower gore all the time right it's not at the forefront of the company image shall we say fair enough it's not that it's not allowed <laughs> it's just it's just that uh it's just that you know uh we often have more light-hearted taste, right like so for example in right you know there's the grim dark parts of people but there' was also you know fantasy tourism right? and that kind of fits the balance that I have right but I do kind of want to see um see what our very you know, sinister atmosphere fantasy adventure um would be
0: you've got a lot of tools to do it with and I yes. <laughs> if you do write it we will probably feature it on this show as well
1: Well,
0: we should see. I mean, it'd have to happen in my copious
1: spare time. Oof, fair
0: enough. Yes, yes. Let's see. Uh, So, not a lot of uh, rule stuff happening right now. Um, There are guidelines that that folks can take a look at. Uh, I'll try and get a link to those available in the description and in the show notes um, that mention that 15%, 15%, I believe it was 15% roughly of the page count yeah. can be new rules content, but it should be focused mostly on your adventures and your settings.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, you know, it's like I said, it's a work, you know, um, there we're having some discussions about, you know, how to, about different settings, how settings and different things we want to see from the program um and i'm not the boss of any of that um Mm -hmm. but i am kind of excited to see see what's going to happen um as as we kind of see what people are producing and also what people are asking for right yes um and this is such a huge thing generally to just tell to everybody like Mm -hmm. um a lot of the time people will talk about oh you know i wish i had i wish there was such and such thing but they'll talk about it in a place that we don't, we aren't there necessarily, right? Like gotcha. we're not reading all of the Facebook groups um, and we're not on all the Discord channels um, not or all of the other places where people are talking about things. So you're just kind of writing your message yeah. on a piece of paper and throwing it into the darkness and hoping that it hits somebody in the head. Uh, <laughs> who can do something about it. So, you know, um, we we quite like it when you use the less circuitous routes, such as, for example, uh, you know, our social media presence or, you know, making contact with us to tell us what you're interested in. Uh, it's really helpful, especially if it's about things to do with what you want to play and run as opposed to, shall we say, more abstract wants and needs, hmm. right? I mean, you know, certainly we love it when people have deep and complex thoughts about game design generally. It's just that we don't always have the time to have that conversation with them. That's fair. Uh, <laughs> so we, we kind of need to know more about, you know, um, I'm running fantasy age and you know, I would appreciate having uh, you know I would appreciate having more run-of-the-mill uh, spear carrier type monsters, for example, is the kind of thing that you might share with us and we're like, wow, cool, we totally want that. Like I know for me, uh, I uh, you know my my wish list for the new core when I was talking to uh ONKC oh, okay, Stevens is Make sure you can find the stats for horses. I always have trouble finding the horses, right? It feels like the dumbest thing, but sometimes you really need to find those horses.
0: Sometimes you need to know, you know, how many times that horse can get punched.
1: Yeah, how many times the horse can get punched. It definitely um,
0: came up in one of my Dragon I, Age games.
1: Yes. Yeah. In in my Grim Dark horse punching adventure <laughs> coming soon. For the Age Creators Alliance. Horse puncher, horse punching,
0: horse puncher
1: two thousand. <laughs> uh, oh man, that would be that would be like a gritty British comic horse punching, right? <laughs> like, the horse punching of two thousand A.D.
0: Uh, I'm already kind of starting to regret this joke. <laughs> I'm not so sure how much deeper I want to go in, you would, Into you the would whole not be the first to have an
1: right. interaction with me, with that feeling.
0: <laughs> All right, but you're
1: taking it very
0: well. <laughs> Fantastic, thank you. Um, let's see. So, uh, as far as I can tell right now, I've not seen anyone make any uh, submissions for Modern Age specifically yet. So far, it looks like it's mostly been for, fan- for fantasy age. Guilty is charged. Fantasy age is my specialty at the current, so the two adventures that I've put in there are both fantasy age right now.
1: Listen, I understand that the fantasy genre is the big thing. Um, and I work on my modern game. Um, and and you know, it is, I would say, the difference between fantasy age and modern age is that I think fantasy age. Appeals to people more as a, like, I got this thing and I'm going to run it, right? Mm-hmm. Because, of course, you know, most of us get into RPGs through traditional fantasy, right? Through D&D, something like D&D, mm-hmm. Pathfinder, say. Um, or, you know, just through generally being interested in fantasy as a genre, right? Yes. And, that really brings us to, and we have a sense of how fantasy works, Right about like what a plucky group of heroes from diverse backgrounds are like going to do their thing um in a you know uh, semi-lawless semi-wild world full of mo- like you know uh, the ideas of the genre are intuitive right but there's no classic modern genre really right instead there is horror and there's urban fantasy and there's crime dramas um in you know a bunch of genres within the modern genre and modern age has to be focused toward that and i think that makes it more appealing for people who are more tinkerers from the outset right which is why we have things like modes right and why of course we have two books the companion now this one with so many different options right because that is that's the vibe of, of modern age. right? Um, and to those of you who love fantasy age, love modern age, so many of the things in modern age can be converted with almost no work at all. Um, I have already have stolen to, many things but, from the fantasy age game. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, that's true for, for pretty much every age game. Um, for example, uh, Going back to enemies and allies, right? Um, in enemies and al- allies, there are some guidelines in the back for converting things from Blue Rose and fantasy age to modern age, um, you know. So so that back and forth conversion is possible. And we have some support for it. But we also think about it often when we're doing the design side. So for instance, with enemies and allies, uh, I avoided a lot of classic, Monster type things that could fit it in the modern day, because I knew that they were in fantasy age already. Right? Ah, um, yeah. right, so that's why you don't have. That's why you don't have. That's why you don't have a normal vampire. Right. Um, instead, you have like a um, a creepy MRA psychic vampire. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh, I mean to, like, drain the life from you through negs and crap like that, right? So... <laughs> the Ringwraith um, put
0: its lips to my ears and said, if you won't debate me, your argument is invalid. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. We have, but we do have, like, you know, but Fantasy Eight has, like, great classic cinematic vampire on um, um, highest there like, they are easily convertible, so oh yes there you have
0: it right absolutely uh and of course i imagine that um oh goodness um something that i've seen coming up uh with specific reference to the uh, age creators alliance and with modern age being even more toolboxy than a lot of other age games um there's a lot of customization that a lot of folks like to do for their individual games um, so a lot of, so a couple of conversations have come up about, uh, folks who want to say, like, use a fantasy age monster in a modern age adventure.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and then that does create the, uh, the tricky situation where, um, the GM is, um, has got to buy, have not only like the modern age basic rulebook, but also no. probably want to pick up the fantasy age beast theory. Um, so, uh, do you know exactly how much, uh, how much leeway folks have for maybe, like, uh, reprinting, uh, a version, or even, like, maybe, a, a renamed or a re-sculpted version of a monster that's in an age book, uh, so that they don't have, just to, like, limit how much, uh, folks need to be dipping their toes into multiple age lines if they don't want to, unlike me, who wants to dip their toes um, in everyone.
1: Well... Yeah, that is something where I would contact. Okay. With, uh, you, by default, don't assume that you can you can just reproduce something. Uh, Very good. Complete. Uh, like what we want is we do want an emphasis on new material, mm-hmm. uh, and and that's kind of where things are right now. I. I think we're just going to see what the reaction is with the current guidelines before before we really have that conversation of opening more stuff up. Mm-hmm. Um, but you've kind of you kind of caught me because that is probably a question that should be uh, routed through to you know so Troy, but you know uh, you might want to uh, message someone or that's something. Well, you know I'm right here. i'll bring it up (laughs) so i I,
0: I appreciate that i figured i'd just throw it out there because it's 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 a conversation i've seen coming up and some folks are just a little concerned about it and the pdfs aren't that expensive i don't think it's that Mm -hmm. personally i don't think it's that big a deal and i mean the more age books you've got the more resources you can pull on well
1: i mean I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that we, you know, we want people to buy these books that the things are in. That's fair. <laughs> and uh, and that's just kind of the way it is. But uh, but certainly, I understand like people not wanting to go outside their own line to get something that they feel is elemental to the subgenre that they're running. Um, but certainly, there are, you know, one thing I would uh, strongly recommend is to look at the um, look at the uh, stat build options that are in Enemies and Allies, because there is actually quite an extensive section about how to make pretty much anything um, and get it to the right threat and everything. Mm-hmm. So you know, there isn't a stat line for a vampire specifically. You can certainly build one from the ground up, the systems in that book so and there's also a lot of to be said for something like reskinning too yes. right um, because the fact is, is that we can't necessarily get to every possible variation of a thing um, and the prep and my preference generally is to do something with depth instead of width uh, if I can help like in the basic oh, rulebook, we have pretty truncated stat blocks, but of course, in um, in enemies and allies, we have you know we have a bit we have like about a two page profile per entry, right? And that's something that is also going to be true with the uh, creature section in Modern Age Powers. Oh, there's a creature section in Modern Age Powers. The book doesn't <laughs> come out yet. Ooh. Uh, you heard it here uh, first, along with lots of items that are really cool too. Um, very, very. Curious oh yeah, right that's going way. to be a pick um, But uh, you know, the, the tools are the tools are there within modern age, mm-hmm. right? It's just that because we have more of a DIY support focus for modern age, um, we don't necessarily tell you how to put everything together to do a. However, that is not a bad idea for something that it, I could blog about um, on the Green running site, right? Gotcha. And in fact, it relates to a conversation that I had recently about uh, providing specific support for you know building your own uh, game and genres and stuff, and we're noodling around ideas. To do that um and uh well when we do stuff generally you will we'll find out <laughs> after
0: I, hopefully yes mm. uh, has there been any talk about maybe allowing threefold as a setting maybe uh at least probably not right now but maybe in the future
1: uh i actually do have an interest in that um yes yes we talked about it uh, one thing I'm interested in is people uh, coming with new planes, and in fact, I have a spreadsheet that has all the plane index numbers on it. Oh. Uh, <laughs> on them, so if we do that, what I want to actually do is I want to make that um, uh, I want to make that a public resource somehow, so that uh, everybody everybody gets their own, everybody gets their own number. They want to make a plane. The uh, game, that's so fun. that they're you know they're in the catalog.
0: Very fun. That's very fun. Mm-hmm. Build
1: ourselves so, a little
0: multiverse uh, or metacosm.
1: Yes, that sounds like um, that fun. Yeah. Oh, yes, indeed. um I would. I would love it if there were new plans out there. There, it's not allowed yet, um but certainly it's something that I'm interested in pursuing. And again, um, you know, early days for the program. So uh, we'll see how it goes.
0: Very good. Threefold just just seemed like uh, a real easy fit for something like this.
1: Well, yes. Yes, it is. It's designed for that because, you know, because as I was said, like, you know, there's no one modern genre, right? So if I was, you know, so in order to do, um a flagship setting for modern age it, it basically had to be that it had to be something that supports virtually everything um, and people kind of fell out it was originally it originally started out as a series of venn diagrams that i was waving at other people at the company, right and you know and here's horror and here's fantasy and here's this and here's the thing that binds them all together how does it bind them all together i'm working on that
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then Glue then and desperation. It, yes.
0: Hey, whatever works, whatever holds that metacosm mm. together, the Sodality yes. folks could use that help. Mm-hmm. Alright. Well, we've gone on for a good little while. Uh yes. I think that this has been very exciting and illuminating. Um Is there anything else that you'd like to throw out there before we close out?
1: Um well we are working on uh we are working on ways um like i said to uh to sort of help people uh do stuff in different genres with with modern age um uh, in particular and uh there is actually i'm not sure when it's going to come out um but uh i'm not sure if i should tell you but i'm going to tell you anyway um uh, you know about Fantasy Age Trojan War, right? Yes. Yeah, so Fantasy Age Trojan War is, you know, a little focused on Fantasy Age. And I did that. That was one of the things I did, um, or I kind of got started, because I worked you with know, Steve, and it was uh, with Steve, and it was based on the original work of uh, Aaron Rosenberger. And, uh that was after working on the fantasy age uh conversion codex right which was a similar length and a similar kind of work on thing so i loved working on that and i thought i want to do one thing for modern age and what is genre that everybody wants to play that is semi-modern but not it's cyberpunk so oh man there's a little cyberpunk thing coming I'm not yeah. sure when, but it's written. Um, so it's uh, it's just going to provide focus support for cyberpunk games. Oh, and it's got some great things. It's got body swapping, powered armor, and uh, um, auto- you know, and in artificial intelligence and automation and. Uh, gosh. Oh, it's fantastic. And part of it was that I got Steve to work on it because anytime I get tired and lazy, I ask Steve. <laughs> <laughs> what a guy. Because Steve is just so good. Um, so yes, that is a thing that is coming. And speaking of other reasons to praise Steve, he was the lead designer on Modern Age Powers, um, which I must emphasize. Is not to masterminds from Modern Age, and I'm probably gonna have to say that a whole bunch to modulate expectations, probably. But it's a cool book, so there's stuff coming from Modern Age, and there's this one big thing that I can't tell you about, but it's so big, and it involves a two hundred thousand word draft, and Me and dear. hopefully we'll talk about it next week.
0: <laughs> I'd be loved. I'd love to have you on again to talk about it,
1: mm-hmm. whatever it
0: may be. Oh goodness! Well, that's exciting. Mm. So many things that you've heard here first, everybody. Yeah. <laughs>
1: well, uh, who knows what you're gonna say to me back at the office.
0: <laughs> well, uh, you know, maybe maybe they don't listen. Maybe it's fine.
1: Although I do no, believe uh, I know for a fact there are a couple of people listening. So oh, very,
0: I did see a couple of viewers who had some very familiar-looking names.
1: Yes
0: Uh uh-oh all right well uh thank you everybody uh everybody in the chat who is joining us live and everybody who is listening in podcasting land um thank you uh, uh uh mr shepherd malcolm for coming on again
1: thank you so much for having me
0: absolutely Uh, And thank you all out there for listening to the Adventure Game Engine Interest Series. You can join us and other fans on the D20 Radio Discord or the Green Run in Age Appropriate Discord. We have our own channel in the D20 Radio Discord if you'd like to leave us a message with a question or a custom creation. This is Ren wishing lots of sixes on that stunt die. uh, And for Jess, who can't make it today, this is Jess wishing you good heels and happy feels.
1: Thank you all so much for listening, everybody, and we're going to see you next time.
0: Thank you for listening to the Adventure Game Engine Interest Series. If you like what we do, please consider supporting us on our Patreon. If you support us at only $3 per month, you get to vote on our Patreon-only poll, which is worth twice as many votes as the other polls. Anything you can contribute is appreciated. You can find a link to our Patreon on our blog in the post for this show. If you'd like to keep up with the show, you can follow us on our Facebook or Twitter. Feel free to leave a comment or a question, or even tell us how your age games are going. We do love to hear. Feel free to comment on our show on SoundCloud, and if you can, please leave us a review on iTunes or Google Podcasts. It really helps us out. The music and sound effects you heard on the show all came from Sirenscape, the legendary program for providing sound effects and music for your tabletop games. You can get started for free if you want to try it out first, and subscribing gives you wider access to the impressive and still-growing library of sounds for fantasy, sci-fi, modern, superhero, horror, and other types of games. Take a listen to Sirenscape, my friends, because your epic games need epic sound. This is Ren wishing lots of sixes on that stunt die. Please take care, everyone, and we'll see you next time.